0: All right, good morning. I asked around this week to ask around. Uh, I was asking around for some people to share with me the worst job they ever had. So think with me for a second about the worst job you've ever had. I would probably say mine was my first job. I worked at a car wash, which isn't that bad, except I worked there for 6 months from about September to March. So I worked there during winter, which is very terrible. So you're cold. You're wet, your hands feel like they're going to fall off at all times, and so that was not very fun. Uh, One person said that their their worst job was at Cracker Barrel. They worked in what was called the pit, so they were always washing the dishes, and they said they were within, they were always standing in about two to three inches of water at least. People quit every single week. Uh, One person said they worked at a, I don't know if it was a roller skating rink or an ice rink, ice skating rink, doesn't really matter. They were the person that got to spray and clean the uh, skates after the sweaty kids and teenagers. Wore them. Uh, One person told me that they. One person said that they. Their job was they worked at a drug rehab center on the night shift. And they had to go around every hour and flash a flashlight into everybody's room to make sure they were there. So you can imagine how that went over uh, for them. Probably my favorite was one person said she worked, I didn't know this was a thing, but she worked at a traveling inflatable company. So like bounce houses, that sort of thing, yard games. And uh, they stayed and they worked she worked there one summer. They stayed in roach-infested motels like all the time, apparently. And when it was time for their last paycheck, uh, you know it was a bunch of college students people didn 't have very much money, and so they needed the, the, what they could make their last paycheck um, was ba- bounced, so there was deposit and it was bounced, and so everyone like didn 't have the money. She said she it was a place called g Willie i guess g Willie and so she eventually was paid by Willie himself at behind a gas station he didn 't even get out of the car he just like rolled down his uh, window a few inches and like tossed her a handle full of money <laughs> and so you know that was fun, but regardless here 's what my here's my assumption. If you think to the worst job you ever had, my assumption is this: uh, maybe the biggest reason, or probably one of the biggest reasons, why you would say that it was not a good job, is because you probably felt uh, devalued or unnecessary in some way, right? You probably felt like what you did didn't matter, that you didn't contribute much, like it wouldn't even matter if you showed up or if you didn't. Like so, these these things affect us, right? If we feel like we've got nothing to offer, if we feel like we aren't doing anything then the likelihood of us feeling like this is worthless is pretty high. And so here's what I want us to look at this morning as we continue our series. I want to look at this question. Uh, what are you doing to build God's church? So let me just say this uh, real quick. Uh, one, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to be specifically speaking to Christians today. So you are off the hook. Uh, you can hang out and just listen. But if you're a follower of Christ, here's my question for you. What are you doing to build God's church? And with that, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to lean in a little bit this morning, okay? I'm going to Maybe not say, I was my Old Testament prophet probably isn't um, a fair one because I'm not a prophet, but here's what they would often do. They would often call people to repentance or call people to do something, and people wouldn't like that. And so my my goal here today is not to make anyone feel bad or feel guilty, but I want us to lean in a little bit because how we answer this question has profound implications for our life and those around us. And if you do not, if, if we were to go around the room, which of course we won't, and I would ask you, what is your answer to this question if you do not have one? By the end of the day, this morning, over these next few minutes, you will have an answer to this, and so I'm really excited to look at it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. We're in a series called Masterclass. We're looking at going through 1 Corinthians, written by this guy named Paul. Uh, Within 20 years of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and he's talking to a church in Corinth who is dealing with a lot, of this, a lot of issues that we are today, and so we have a lot to learn from him. And so today we're continuing uh, kind of a thought that we talked about last week. And last week we looked at this idea of, of do you want to go closer to God? The, I'm assuming the answer to that is yes, and so we looked at how you could actually do that. And we're continuing that thought today, picking up in verse 5, and here's what Paul says. <clears throat> he says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each one has the role the Lord has given. So remember, one of the issues that the Corinthian church is dealing with is they are attaching themselves to Christian leaders and kind of putting their significance in people like Paul and Apollos instead of Jesus. And so Paul's going to give a, give an example of him and tell them why this is not a good thing. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? His point here is we're just servants. Like we're not special. We're not anything better than anybody else. We were just servants of God. And he says this, verse 6, I planted, so he's talking about the church in Corinth, so Paul planted the church. Apollos watered the church or helped, uh, helped you know, sustain and grow the church, but here's what he says. But God is ultimately the one that's responsible because God gave growth. Verse 7, uh, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own uh, labor. And so what he's saying there is this, that what we do matters, that there is some sort of a reward that we'll get to in a few minutes uh, that is given to us based on how we live, and that reward is not based on human standards of what we think is good or what we think is awesome, but it's based on God's standards. But here's the point here that Paul is beginning this passage and he's using kind of a um, uh, an agricultural metaphor to show how God worked in the Corinthian church. And Paul and Apollos, what he's saying about him and Apollos is really applicable to all believers. And the point here is simply this, that in Christ, if you're in Christ, then God wants to use you, right? God wants to use you just like he was using Paul and Apollos and all these different people. It's going to look different for different people, but you have a role to play. And what sometimes happens is people kind of give this excuse as to why uh, we're not maybe being intentional with our, with our lives because we say things like this it's not up to me whether or not God produces fruit, right? Even in this passage, it said it was God was the one who gave the growth, not Paul and not Apollo. So yes, it is not, tr- it is not up to us whether or not we will see results when we're living faithfully, but the point is simply this, or here's better the question to ask. The question is simply th- th- that we should ask is this, that are you doing anything that God can actually grow? So yes, what, that might look different for you than, than, than for other people, but the question is this, are you doing anything in your life if you are a Of Christ, that God can actually grow. Yes, the results are up to Him, but He is calling us to do something, and if we are doing nothing, then God can't actually uh, grow it. I I love what David Platt says. Uh, He is a pastor, an author, and a missionary. He says this, it'll be on the screen. Uh, He says, A privatized faith and a resurrected Christ is practically inconceivable. And this is a side note, but I want to just say this real quick. This idea, there was a report that came out a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, based off the Barna Group, um, and it was this thing about millennials, and basically said about 47% of them are uncomfortable sharing their faith in a way with the hopes uh, that somebody would convert to Christianity. Now, it's easy for us to knock millennials, and I think that is something as followers of Christ that we should be embarrassed about. But I would say this, because again, I'm pressing into everybody here. Who was it that raised the millennials, right? The people that were older than them. And so every generation has a a responsibility in that statistic, that 47% of millennials today are uncomfortable sharing their faith in a way that they're hoping people would meet Jesus. And what David Platt is saying this, that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has done what he said that he has done, that if you and I do nothing with it but care about simply our own well-being, then it is inconceivable that we would actually take this message of Jesus and keep it for ourselves. He's not saying that you are not saved, as we're going to read here, but it it makes no sense logically for us to say Jesus gives us hope, grace, forgiveness is the hope of the world, and I'm going to do nothing with it for anybody else. Which means this, I just want to say this real quick, that a privatized faith is a passive faith. A privatized faith is a passive faith. If your faith is something that you just keep to yourself and you're not intentional with it and you're not hoping for it, you're not praying for opportunities uh, for God to move in your life and to use you, not just other people, then that is passive. <clears throat> That's not to say you're not saved. That's not to say that you don't love Jesus, but that is a dichotomy that we must reject that if we are followers of Christ. I know in our culture today we like to compartmentalize. We talked about that last week. And we feel like we can't speak into anybody else's life or to anybody else's issue, but when it comes to Scripture what God has for us to, to to do in our lives. We just need to know that if we privatize our faith, if we are passive with our, with our faith, then we can't expect God to grow anything because God does not need us, and yet he uses us to accomplish his mission, which means you and I have work that we need to do. And so Paul says this in verse 9. He concludes this thought by saying this, for we, he's talking about Paul and Apollos here, but by uh, conjecture, he's really talking about all believers. We are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. What he's saying there is that this is all, uh, this is everything is God's possession. And what what he's talking about here is he's saying that me, Paul, Paul, myself, and Apollos here, we worked in the Corinthian church, and God grew it, and God produced results. And so the question again for you and me, if we are followers of Christ this morning, is this: Who or what is your Corinth? What are you doing to make any difference in the kingdom of God to see God do what only God can do? And so here's what I want us to know this morning as we look at this text, that you have work to do. If you are a follower of Christ, you have work to do. And here's my hope, right? We went to this, we talked about earlier, like the worst job you ever had. I, I often, my, my guess is this, have you ever been in a job where somebody gave you extra responsibility? Like maybe they left for a while, maybe it was your first job and you kind of were working hard. Like anytime somebody gives you responsibility, you take ownership, you feel like you have something to do, you're more likely to contribute, right? And so my hope is this, that knowing that if you are a follower of Christ, that you have something to do, does not make you feel guilty or embarrassed or kind of like, well, I don't know what to do with that, but that I would actually inspire you to action. You have work to do. It reminds me, let me give you an example of what this looks like. And especially with this idea that growth is not up to us. Uh, but God simply asks us to work or to be faithful. Uh, a few years ago, or I don't know, five or six or seven years ago, when Christina and I were still living in Wilmington, we served, uh, we volunteered one Saturday with our church uh, for Habitat for Humanity, right? And so, if you know Habitat for Humanity, they build houses uh, for low-income people. And basically, how it works is when you show up on a Saturday or whenever day you do it, they have like one or two lead guys that are like leading the project, and they kind of explain, okay, here's the state of the, the houses, in today here's what we're going to do as a group. And so, uh, what happened was they kind of explained, here's where we are, here's what are have to do. And so all the people who had like no construction knowledge at all, which by the way is me, as we know, uh, can't do anything, uh, took the easy jobs like hammering stuff in the house and all these sorts of things. And then the people that like had somewhat of an experience on how to build things kind of went with the head director guy and they did other stuff. And then there was me and I was like, well, I got nothing to do, right? Because the easy stuff was taken and the hard stuff, you know, I don't have it. I can't help with that. And so I felt like quite worthless. And so for a while, I like, uh, Uh, How I remember it is, I like helped, I like uh, moved like plywood or wood around where people needed it. But I felt like I wasn't doing anything. I was like, "Well, this is a waste." Until my one shining moment came, and what happened was, we were on the side of the house. The frame of the house was built, and I don't know, maybe it was like twelve or fourteen feet tall. I'm not quite sure. And there was a ladder against the side of the house that was leaning on the house. It wasn't an extension ladder, so it was like, I think it was like maybe eight feet tall or something like that, as tall as it could be. And they needed someone that was tall enough, and I. I can't remember all this stuff, and I, from, what I, from what I can remember, I think it was like a, this triangle that was about two feet, I mean, I know it's not a square, but it's like two feet big, and it was like, I had to like, we had to put, we had to like hammer the, this triangle thing, and it was the, right under the, the roof into like the top part of the thing, and we had to put it up there, see, I don't even know how to explain it, I mean, I really. but the problem was nobody was tall enough to like hold it up there and actually hammer it into the frame, Right? And except there was me. And I think the guy who was like in charge of it was busy something. And like, they literally couldn't do, it wasn't just like, oh, we feel bad for Dylan. Like he was actually going to contribute. And I'm like, this is my moment. So I go up on, I start, I I have like this belt, I think, with the hammer and some nails. And I have this, uh, I have this piece of wood or whatever it was. And I'm climbing up this ladder and I'm like, this is it. You know, like the Rocky theme song. You know, I'm like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a difference. And then I get to the second to the top rung, if you will. And I'm not scared of heights unless I don't feel safe. And like eight to 10 feet is not that high until you're like that high and you feel like you're gonna die. And so I'm like on the second to top rung and my heart's beating. The only reason I did not go back down is because people were watching me. And so my pride, I guess, took over. And I'm like reaching and I couldn't really get it up there. And so I'm like, I don't have a choice. I have to go to the top rung. And of course, if you're standing on the ground, you're like, just go up another rung. It's not that scary. It is scary when you're up there, okay? And so I do this thing, my heart's pounding. I get in the top rung and I can reach. And so I, I put this like triangle thing on the top Part of the side of the house, and then I go and get the hammer and the nails, and I'm like, This is it, my heart's pounding, but I did it. And like, I dropped a nail, and I, I couldn't. Basically, long story short, I failed. Because as I was holding it, it was like, It was all I could do to hold it that I couldn't also like hammer it in itself. And so, the one job that I had that I actually could do, I did nothing with it. I failed. And so, I don't know how the little triangle thing got up there. I'm assuming it did somehow, but it wasn't by me. And why do I share that story? Okay, here's why. I, in that situation, did not see the results that I wanted to see, but I at least tried. And I think that's what Paul wants us to know here. That again, God is the one that gives growth. He's not asking us to produce results. He's just asking us to be faithful so that how he sees fit, results can come, that a difference can made, And you just need to know that you have worked to do. Don't get stressed out about how, what might happen or what it might look like if it works or doesn't work. You just need to know that God has something for you to do. And, just like, and that's what he's telling the Corinthians here. And so if we continue starting in verse 10, here's what Paul says. He says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, or what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ, and so what he's doing here is he's switching from a an or agricultural uh kind of. Analogy to an architectural one. And he's saying this that as you work and as you build and as you live, you need to be careful what you're actually building your life on, what you're actually doing with your uh, life. Why? Because if you're not building out your life on Jesus, then you ultimately, I ultimately have. Nothing. If it's not built on a firm foundation, right? Which I know is the kind of cliche Christian thing that we say all the time, but it is true. Then ultimately, you and I have nothing. And here's what this means. And here's: it's not just that we need to know that we have work to do. We need to go a step further and know this: that right? it's not just that we build, but how we build that matters. It's not just that we work, but it's how we work. It's not just that we live, but it's how we live that. Matters. What we do matters, right? Because again, you can work hard and you can do all the things that you want to do, but if it's built, again, on a a foundation that will not last, if you're working towards things that do not matter, ultimately it will all be for nothing. So again, it's not just that we build, but how we build that matters. And here's why. Okay, Paul's going to explain why this is the case when he continues and he says this in verse 12, right? He says, If anyone builds, and he's talking about believers here, "'If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire.' the fire will test the quality of each one's work. And so here's what he's doing, that he's moving from the foundation of a house or a structure uh, to the superstructure. And he's using two categories to kind of show us the importance uh, for us to know why we live and how we build matters. He uses two types of uh, categories. He uses uh, one category of material that will not be burned up. So when he says gold, silver, costly stones, those are things that do not burn up in the fire. Or he uses another category of of material that do burn up when he says wood, hay, or straw. And what he's saying here is that anything that is not of quality will not last uh, uh, for the day will disclose it. The day he's talking about is when we meet Jesus face to face, when Jesus comes back to judge the heavens and the earth to reestablish his new kingdom on the day of judgment, all of our works will be laid bare uh, before God. And so the point here is, again, that you and I need to be uh, uh, working towards something that actually matters, because if not, then all of our work is in vain. I've probably shared this before, but going with another building metaphor, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've ever built like a shelf or something from Ikea or Target or whatever, and uh, you get like towards the end and you realize, oh man, I messed up really bad. Um, so for me, as someone who does not build things very well, I've built enough like little shelf things that you order like in from Target or online enough that you kind of like know what it's going to say, like they all kind of have the same basic parts. And so some point last year in our, our, our Romans room, our, our Youngest, uh, his infant room. Uh, Christina ordered these like shelves, these like cabinet shelves. It's like a square, and then you have like more things. I don't even know how to explain it, right? <laughs> but basically, you make it so you can put cubbies in, right? And the outer of the, it was, it's a square, so it's like four. Logs or whatever, log sounds manly, and then you build this stuff. And so I skipped the first, I'm thinking, okay, there's four of them, they're all the same size, it doesn't matter like what's on the side and what's on the top. And so I start building the the inner cabinet parts and connecting it to, I think, the two side parts and all these things. And then I get to the end, which I thought was the end, where you put uh, the top and the bottom onto the cubby and then you're finished and so I put the bottom on and it's like f- kind of fits but I get it in there and then I get to the put the top on and I'm just like it's not fitting like you're trying to like get the little nubs in the holes if you know what I'm talking about and so then I get a hammer and I'm like trying to hammer it and it's like about to crack and I'm like I don't Christina looked at it and I'm like what is going on here like why is it not fitting and I go back and look at the instructions, and I realize the first step, that it does matter which ones were on the side and which ones are on the top and the bottom, even though they're the same size, so it should not matter. But somehow it did, right? So what happened? All the time that I spent working on that dumb shelf was for nothing. I had to do it all over again, right? I worked, but it didn't matter because I didn't start right. I didn't have a good foundation. It was all for nothing. That's what Paul is saying here, is that we need to be careful in what we're doing, careful about how we're living our lives, because it could be all for nothing. And what a shame that would be. Right, so he continues by saying this in works 14. He says, if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, uh, but only as through fire. And so what he's saying here, a couple things. First, uh, that you and I do have a reward waiting for us. How we live our life does determine what what that reward will look like. Now, to be clear, how you live your life does not change whether the fact you are saved, which is why Paul says this, he himself will be saved. What you do does not save you. But what you do, and we see this all throughout scripture, and somehow in some way there's debate about what this looks like, uh, that there is going to be rewards, whether it's responsibilities or gifts or whatever it is in God's kingdom. Now, it's not going to be in a way that we're jealous or envious of one another, but there are, again, rewards for how we live somehow, whatever that looks like. And not only that, that scripture seems to point, and this is another example of it in this passage, that it is okay to live in God honoring ways and love God and serve God with the goal of having a greater reward in mind. Like that is an actual okay motivation to have. That you and I can serve God and love God knowing that in some way He is going to reward it. For us, and so the point here is simply this: that the judgment day, this fire that he's talking about, uh, but he's kind of using human terms to, to describe the judgment day when we see Jesus, is he's talking here about believers. That you and I, if you follow Christ, if you trust in Christ because of what Christ has done for you and for me, we are saved. We don't earn it. We don't do anything about it. Like we're, we're good before God. But if we want to have a reward, if we want to have things that matter, that we have to make sure that we're living our lives uh, that matter. Again, how you live and what you do does in some way determine what the kingdom of God, will, what it will be like for you. And so here's what I want us to do today. And we did this last week. We're going to do this again this week in a little bit of a different way because I want to make this really practical because I think this is so important. We have work to do, and it matters how you build. And so here's what I want us to, to do this morning. I want us to pick one way. I want you to pick one way to build up the church. Again, going back to our first question, what are you doing to build God's church? If you don't have an answer to that, that's okay, because today you're going to. And so here's what I want us to do. There's a blue card in front of you, and the Bibles in front of you. you, Go ahead and pull, everyone just go ahead and pull it out. Let me explain uh, something about this real quick. Uh, Last week, we we did this in a little bit of a different way. We talked about growing closer to God, picking one thing. And if I could say this, if I could press in a little bit this morning, I was discouraged at the amount of blue cards that were left in the the seat backs in front of us after both services last week. Because here's what I know. Talking to people, and statistically, almost everybody would say they want to grow closer to God. And last week, we made it very clear and very obvious on how to do it, and I was discouraged about the, the amount of blue cards that were left. And so here's what I would say today. Let's not do that today. This is too important that your friends, your family, your coworkers, you yourself have too much on the line to say that's cute, that's good, but I'm not going to do anything about it. So let's not do that this morning, okay? So here's what I want us to do. Uh, I want us to do this. I'm going to give you two caveats and explain what this looks like. Uh, Number one, you do not need to pray about this, right? If you want to pray about it, you you need to pick something and then pray about it and see if God wants you to change it. And here's the second thing. I don't want you to put your name on it, but what we're going to ask is that at the end of the service, we'll have a minute here and also a minute at the end of the service, that you fill this out before you leave and you drop it in the giving boxes either in the back of the auditorium or in the lobby, and when you do that, that is your commitment before God that you're going to take this seriously for the next six months. So you don't have to do it, but just know that we're asking that you commit before God that you're going to play a part in seeing God's kingdom expand. And so here's what I want this to look like. I want to make this very simple. It's simply going to be this, that I will do something every certain amount of time, day, week, or month, For the next six months so that you and I have a solid answer to say, here is what I'm doing to play my small part. What happens is we feel like we have to do everything, and so we end up doing nothing. So let me give you an example. You could say something like this. I will invite one person uh, every week for the next six months, or I'll invite one person to church uh, every month. For the next six months. That is what I'm going to do. That's my commitment to build God's church. You could also say, uh, I will ask one person, this is very unthreatening, I will ask a one person how I can pray for them every week for the next six months, or every day if you really want to do it, but every week, or I'll ask three people every week for the next six months, simply how I can pray for them. I'm not trying to like share Jesus, not trying, I'm just asking how I can pray for them. That's my part I'm going to play. Or you could say this. I will have one faith or spiritual conversation every week or every month for the next six months. So here's another one. Maybe I will pray for somebody that, that I know that does not know Jesus. So I will pray for uh, Alan, I don't know, every day for the next six months. Maybe you'll say, I will increase my giving by 2% for the next six months? What is one small thing that you can do in the midst of the hecticness of life and relationships and family and friends? What is one thing that you can do over the next six months to build God's church? And here's what I, I like about this. Again, I think so much. sometimes all we, we run around feeling guilty. We feel like we don't do enough, and then we feel bad, and we feel like God doesn't love us, or God's judging us for us. And you don't need to feel that way. One, if you're in Christ, God loves you, but not because of you, but because of Jesus. But if all of us take this seriously, if all of us do one thing, I believe we'll see God do some really cool things. Again, the results are not up to us, but are we even doing anything that he can grow? And my promise to you is this, if you do this, for the next six months, although the results are up to God, you will probably do so- see God do something that you would not have seen him done if you did nothing. So I my ask, that every single one of us, even if we think we don't need it, even if we think I'm too good for this, it probably means that we need it, that we would all, me included, would fill this out, drop it off, and see what God is going to do so that, like Paul says, we are actually working towards something, we are actually making a difference in God's kingdom. And ultimately, here is why this is important for us to do. Here's why it's important for us to do. The last two verses we'll read, he says this in verse 16. He says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Now, as a side note, really quickly, I think uh, going through the Bible like we're doing uh, in this series is helpful. Because sometimes we hear people say or teach things that the scripture does not actually say. And I don't, this was fun for me when I studied this because up until this point, I have only ever heard someone talk about these last two verses that we just read. And if you grew up in church, you've got a lot of experience with uh, uh, Christianity, you probably heard this as well, that Paul here is talking about your physical body that you should be healthy because God's Spirit is in you, and that is how you steward God's body well. And while that is very true, that the Holy Spirit is within you if you are a follower of Christ, these verses in this passage is not talking about your physical body. What is he talking about here? In context of what we're saying, he's not talking about your physical body. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church collectively, not individually. And so what here is, Paul is talking about, again, the body, which means this, that your faith is not Private. What did we talk about earlier when we started, right? It's not a privatized thing. It's not a passive thing that you and I ought to be doing something to make a difference in other people's lives. And what he's saying here is simply this, that if anyone uh, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Why? Because God's church matters. And the question is, are we doing anything to build it up or are we tearing it down? What are we doing? Are we making a difference or are we not? I love what one commentator says, and I'm just going to read this because he says it more succinctly than I can. Talking about these two verses, explaining what Paul actually means here. He says this. Uh, the reason that God's judgment comes to those who profane the temple, which is God's church, not, us, not our individual physical bodies, is this, that God's temple is sacred. This statement recalls the opening where Paul identified the Corinthians as God's church, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, which we talked about the first week. And then he says this, in context, the reference to those causing and stoking divisions or that's what who's Paul is talking about to engage in such behavior is to destroy the temple of god Right To engage in such behavior to cause divisions and animosity, which is one of the big problems when people were kind of attaching themselves to people and things instead of Jesus, is to cause division, is to cause uh, bad things, is to cause, uh, uh, to, to be in some ways an enemy of the church, in some ways to tear it down instead of to tear it up. And so here's why, I want to talk about this just for a second as we close. Here's why you need to do one thing to, uh, to build up God's church. Here's why, and then we'll talk about why it's important for us to actually do this. Because you are the church. Okay, you. You specifically, if we're going to talk about this individually for a second, you are part of the church. Yes, your friend, your neighbors, your pastor, all these things are true, but also so are you. And so Paul is not talking to people who have been to Bible school. He's not talking to people who have been following Jesus forever. Like a lot of them, again, like we talked about last week, are immature, have only been following for a few years or less. Paul wants us to know this, that you and I are the church, which means you and I have work to do. And here it is why, here's the, here's the bottom line this morning. Here's why it's important for us to do something. Because if you are part of God's temple, you will either build it up or tear it down. If you are part of God's temple, you will either build it up or you will tear it down. hear me this morning, there is no in-between. Here's what we often think. Well, maybe I'm not being as intentional in any area of my life like I should be, but I'm not actually doing anything to tear the temple down, to tear God's church down, so I'm safe, right? Like, I'm safe from what Paul is talking about. Here's what we know. Idleness leads to laziness, and laziness is when we get in trouble. If you are not being intentional with doing something, you will be doing nothing, and you will eventually... What's the problem with a lot of churches after they hang if they're after they're around for a while? Why do they start arguing about the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls or how bright the lights are or how loud the music is? Why do they do that? Because they become lazy, and they haven't focused on the mission. Here's the thing. If you do these last, this week and last week, what we, t- what we talked about, if you actually do this, you won't have time to argue about things that don't matter. If you are intentional in your life with one thing to help you grow closer to God, and you are intentional in your life with one thing that you are going to build up God's church, nobody's going to sit around and care about the carpet because we've got a mission to live on. Here's the, here's the thing. If you, you want to do an analogy, let's do an analogy of war, right? And I'll we'll do it in an American context because that's what we're familiar with, right? We, a lot of our troops are in the Middle East, right? So they go to the Middle East, and it's hot, and it's sandy. Their living conditions aren't great, right? They've, maybe there are bunk beds or single beds that aren't necessarily that great. They, uh, you know, they don't have Netflix they're watching. The food's probably not. Uh, like they, ha- they don't have a lot of the stuff that we have here at home. But yet, that's not their concern. They're not sitting around grumbling about it. Why? Because they've got a mission, and they've got a war to fight. They're trying to survive so that they can come home safe because they're so focused on what they're doing, they don't, have stuff to ar- they don't have time to argue about the stuff that doesn't really matter, right? And that's the same thing for us, that you and I, if we were to believe God's word and what Jesus says, are in a spiritual war. And God, we talk about that Satan wants to destroy you and then by extension destroy the church. And so if you are not doing anything, you will eventually uh, be someone who tears down the church because you are not busy, you're not intentional, you're lazy, and we are not going to be a lazy church here at New City. We're not, going to be, we're not going to do that. Again, the results are not up to us, but we want to be faithful to what God has called us to do so that we don't argue about the stuff that does not matter. You and I have stuff to do, and so we need to do it. I want to read one, one verse really quick in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this, and I just want to read this. It'll be on the screen. If you're thinking, well, what do I have to offer? What difference can I actually make? He says this. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Here's what I want you to know as you're thinking about what you're going to write on this card if you haven't already, that God has given you everything you need to do to do what he has called you to do. I don't have all the answers. What if they ask me all this? Are you, are you? Has God called you to be a, a biblical scholar? No, so that's okay. God has not asked you to have all the answers, right? He just asked you to be faithful where you are. So, who can you love? Who can you pray for? Who can you be intentional with to see uh, life change happen? And here's the deal. This all goes back to the gospel. We don't do this to make God love us more, to earn something from him. We do this in response to what Christ has done for us, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that anyone who trusts and follows him can receive grace, forgiveness, and one day enter into the kingdom that we're talking about this morning. And if that is true, then you and I want to make it possible for as many people as possible to meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him so that they can also experience experienced that as well. That is why we do this. And so again, the main point this morning is this, if you are part of God's temple, you will either build it up or tear it down. If you do not have an answer to the question of what am I doing to build up God's church, you are on the path to tearing it down. I don't want us to feel guilty. I don't want us to feel condemned, but I want us to get to work because there's important things that we have to do, that there's people who do not know Jesus, and God is asking you, he wants to use you to change their life. The question is, are you and I going to be willing to do that? Yes. And so let's do that, God. Let's, just not, let's not sit here, let's not gather on Sundays or community group and like say, I'm good, but let's be intentional about the people in our life so that people can see the grace and, re- and receive the grace and mercy of Jesus like we have. Let's not tear down God's temple. Woe to us if we are gonna do that. Let's live on mission, and let's see what God will do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I am thankful for passages like this because it gives us a reason to live and to be on mission. And rather than us feeling maybe uh, guilty or maybe feeling like we can't make a difference, instead what we see is that we can, and you delight and you invite us to take part. And so my prayer this morning is that we would uh, be encouraged by that that you would uh, show us what is one small step that we can make. You aren't asking us to do everything like one uh, pastor says that we should do what we we should do for one what we wish we could do for many. And my prayer is that this morning that's what we would do. As we make these commitments to build your church, not our own kingdoms, that we would do for one person what we wish we could do for many people and if we all make a small impact collectively, we'll see a big difference being made. And so my prayer is this, this morning, that we would do that, that we would take your word seriously, that we would love those who are far from you. Um, and if we're here this morning and we're not sure about Jesus and what this means, that, that, you, that the, those people would feel loved this morning and know that this is a safe place to ask questions. But God, would, be a, would we be a church that is on mission? Would we be a church that is not living for ourselves? Would we be a church that's engaged in this war so that we can see people meet and experience the love of Jesus? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us a foundation to actually build our lives on so that our lives are not for something, but they are actually intrinsically uh, valuable and they matter because of you. So God, would you give us the ability, the courage to live boldly, to build our lives on you and to see what you might do. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.